following message is from a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found at emmanuelcommunity.org. Now, have you ever heard or said the words, I told you so, or you should have listened to me? Quick survey, how many here? Okay, some of you aren't raising your hands because you're lying, but that's okay. <laughs> they're, they're very interesting words because in a sense, if you're hearing somebody, you're receiving those words, you're hearing somebody say that to you, uh, I think if you're like me, and you might not be, your natural reaction is a form of defensiveness. Like, yeah, you told me so. And you might even be willing to admit somewhere deep down that they were right, but you're still kind of annoyed. Because you realize if you had listened to them, you probably wouldn't have been in the trouble that you are in now at this moment for them to say, I told you so. Uh, If you're a parent, you might have experienced this as well. And I would give you a parenting or non-parenting 101 is never say this to your kids after you have already known that they did what they did. You know, because when you tell your kids and you say, I told you so, it's not well received. And understandably so. Now, that's something that you don't want to do. I have a problem with that because I'm the kind of parent that will actually do what I just told you not to do. And it has hurt my children. So when we hear those words, there's something about listening that is really important. As parents, when we speak to our children, what we're trying to share with them is the years of wisdom and experience that we have. When we do tell our children something, we're telling them with the hopes that they will embrace it, learn from our mistakes, never experience the consequences that we've had with our mistakes, and live a happy lives. We want our children to listen. But I think on the reverse side, sometimes they listen to us, and they say to us, would you just listen to me? Just hear what I have to say. Hear what I'm feeling. And sometimes that's hard for us because if you're like me, I did not grow up with Fred Flintstone like some of you may be thinking, but when you grew up in the 60s and the 70s, it was kind of just bite the bullet and keep moving on. And it's not as easy today. And if you're a follower of Jesus, ultimately listening really matters because it is my understanding when we look at Scripture That God wants to lead us, and the way he leads us is by speaking to us. And if we don't listen, if we don't hear his voice, we cannot follow. Listening really matters when we pray. It matters even in our culture. Have you noticed that today we really don't listen to each other? How many of you are on Facebook? Right? How many of you have been in a Facebook argument? Boy, those really solve a lot, don't they? When you sit there and you pour out your case and the other person that you're arguing with goes... You know what, bro? I have never seen that before. I'm convinced you're right. I'm changing my position. How many of you have had that experience? Oh, I have it all the time. What do you mean? I've never had that experience. It becomes very contentious because we don't want to listen to one another. In a conflict, what happens when you're in that conflict? What are you thinking when the other person is speaking? Someone want to give me a thought so that I don't have to hear hear me the whole time? What are you thinking when your spouse or your kids are arguing with you. Anybody? 
what you're going to say next. Correct. You're not listening, right? You're thinking, you're planning what you're going to say. They lay down their point, and you're ready to say, oh, that was good, but mine's better because you're wrong. Because we don't listen. We're, there's a, a real unwillingness to listen. In fact, we are, we, are, we are not ready to dialogue. We would prefer to monologue. Because our monologue then is our opportunity to set someone straight and to let them know how life really works. It's the same thing when we pray. I don't know how about you when you pray. I do know about myself. There are many times when I get down to pray, I tell God what the situation is, how I think it could work out to his glory, of course. And then once he understands that, <coughs> he will get it and he will answer my prayers. There's no need for me to listen. I just move on. So my prayer times can be very me speaking to God Expecting God to listen and then answer while I go and continue on with my life. So today, what I want to do is look at the story of Jehoshaphat in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I want to talk about how listening matters when we actually pray. So I did do slides. Okay, so far so good. All right, the sit rep. Uh, This is not something where you're sitting down on the couch and watching TV. uh, But in army terms, and I've never been in the army, but I understand it. What's the situation report? Tell us what's happening. So let's see what's happening here. And I will read for us because the title that I have is The Enemy at the, not Bill, just for a little humor, uh, The Enemy at the Gates. goes this way. And nobody laughed, so I, I, I appreciate that that failed. After this, the army of the Moabites, Ammonites, and some of the Meunites declared war on Jehoshaphat. Messengers came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army... A great multitude from Edom is marching against you from beyond the Dead Sea. They are already at En Gedi. Jehoshaphat was shaken, alarmed, terrified by this news, and resolved with a sense of urgency to beg the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. And when they had gathered together, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord, and he prayed. Well, the first words you might notice way back there in the beginning was after this. So to kind of understand Jehoshaphat's situation, you have to understand who he is. Now, Jehoshaphat as a king, when he started out as a king, was a very good king. He sought God. He followed his commands. God honored that, thought it was great, prospered the kingdom. In fact, in the early years, he loved God so much that he actually sent out traveling, I'll say, evangelists to go all across the nation and tell people about God and his commandments. So he's really in a good place. He's doing what he's supposed to, but somewhere along the line, he met a speed bump, or in the modern lingo, is a speed hump. I don't know why they changed it, but they did. So it's, not, it's a speed hump, and in this speed hump, what happened was he decided to marry a daughter of King Ahab of the northern kingdom. King Ahab was the worst of the worst, and I don't know why this good king who loved God so much would actually join in this alliance, but he did through marriage. And then they decided what we should do is go to war. So before they get ready to go to war, they have this little council, and in the midst of this council, Uh, Ahab says, let's have a prophet from God come and share with us. So they have a couple prophets, and a couple prophets say, go, you're going to crush them, you're going to defeat them. The Lord says, the victory is yours. 
And uh, Jehoshaphat turns to Ahab and says, are you sure? I'm, I'm a little feel, feel a little not so comfortable with this. Is there anyone else, a prophet you might know? And so another prophet comes and he says, yes, this is great. And then Ahab says, you liar, tell me the truth. So the prophet says, fine, I'll tell you the truth. You're going to die. And this is a bad idea. But they go to war anyway. And in the midst of this war, everyone starts running towards Jehoshaphat. Because he's all dressed up in his kingly garb, and Ahab, who encouraged him to dress up in his kingly garb, is hiding out. I think kind of the idea that Ahab says, listen, man, they're going to come after me, but I would prefer they go after you. Let them kill you, not a big deal to me. It's kind of a selfish thing that Ahab is doing. And yet in the midst of all this, when Jehoshaphat sees they're all coming towards him, he says, oh God, I need your help. And so God delivers him. In the meantime, some archer from the enemy just kind of goes, I'm going to shoot an arrow, shoots an arrow, and he kills Ahab. Jehoshaphat has learned from this. He should have listened to God, but he didn't. And he almost paid for it with his life. In turn, when he repented and cried out to God, God rescued him. So when he comes back to Jerusalem in chapter 19, what happens is this. He has a spirit of revival, so much so that in the early years of his kingdom, what he did is he sent out traveling evangelists. This time around, he becomes the traveling evangelist. And he goes and he visits the people and tells them how good God is. So that's where we get the after this is from. And our situation then is this. The fact that as one day he wakes up in the morning and he's thinking everything is fantastic. This is great. Like Young, I would imagine when you woke up in the morning before your accident, you're not thinking, well, you know, I'm going to be in Wilmette and I think right about then I'm going to have a heart attack. That's what's going to happen. So great, right? Now you wake up, you're thinking I'm going to have a great ride. The day's going to begin new. It's going to be great. I'm going to be all ready to go. That's what happens with Jehoshaphat. He wakes up and then whatever time of the morning it is, somebody comes in and says, hey, bro, we got a problem. The problem is this. There's this vast army that is invaded, and they're coming to Jerusalem, and basically they're going to either kill us all or lay siege to, the, uh, to Jerusalem, and we're all going to die anyway. So this is not really the way the day was expected for Jehoshaphat to turn around. And so here, in the midst of this, what does he do? Notice what, he's shaken. Uh, he's alarmed. He, he's terrified. He's probably thinking to himself, God, things are going well. We're going everywhere we're supposed to go. We're seeing your name proclaimed. This is great. The people are following you. And now this? What's happening here? I don't understand this. And in the midst of his confusion and his fear and his terror and his alarm, he turns to God. It says that he resolved or begged with a sense of urgency to turn to God, to seek God. What's going on here, God? And how is it that you actually want me to respond And what he does in all of this is he says, you know what? This is so serious that if these guys come and they laid seas, we'll probably all die. We need God, but not need God just to need God. We really need God. So he calls for prayer and he calls for fasting. Basically, he's gathering the people together and he's saying, we must come together. Now, I like the beauty of his prayer. If you go to verses 12 and 13, it's it's a great prayer. Uh, We didn't read the whole prayer because there's so much that's here, but I just want to get to the end of his prayer. And uh, this is what he says in verse 12. Oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this vast army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do. 
What kind of prayer is that? I mean, when I think if I'm praying that prayer, I'm like, oh God, let us go out there and crush them. Let us do a 300 on them. You know what I'm talking about, the movie with the, with the Greeks and all that other kind of stuff? Now, mind you, the 300 is a couple years in the future, and he wouldn't be able to say that. But as I'm looking back at with my eyes, so the idea is, why don't we just go out there and God, just show them you are God, and your power will come and mess them up. Or even better, remind, reminiscent of Hezekiah, why not just say, yeah, God, let them come. Let them lay siege to Jerusalem. That's really cool. And we'll just wait them out. And then we'll wait for your killing angel to wipe them out. That's really cool. Yeah, that's what we'll do. And the end, his prayer is, God, we don't know what to do. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Oh, God, I have no idea what to do. I know what I want to do. I, don't, I, I really don't remember a lot of times where I've actually prayed that prayer because I always know what I want to happen, which is normally something good will happen to me and I will be blessed and I will be encouraged and so then I will follow God more. But his simple prayer of, oh God, we don't know what to do. We're lost. We're confused. We're struggling. We're not understanding why this is happening to us at this time. And the beauty in all of this, if you notice about Jehoshaphat, this is not a prayer that he prays in his own quiet time, but it is a prayer that he prays before the whole community as they have come together in fasting and prayer. I read something the other day, and the author was saying that there has been no sustained movement of God without a sustained movement of prayer together. You see, a lot of times when we pray, we pray by ourselves. And even though in the Old Testament, as we call it, Jehoshaphat teaches us what it means to come together and to pray corporately and to realize together we as a community are in trouble. We have great need. You see, this vast army wasn't coming destroying and murdering and raping and pillaging just so that they could get to Jehoshaphat. They wanted everyone. And the corporate community comes together and they pray. And what's their response? Let's go back to verse 12 and 13. They stood before the Lord. A simple response. The verses say, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this vast army that is about to attack us. We don't know what to do. But we're looking to you for our help. As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and children. Now, if we read this like I would read it, if I were an American perspective from the modern 20th, first century, what I'm sitting there is thinking, after this prayer, it just seems like suddenly the prophet, who we'll read about a little bit later, slips into, hey, this is what God wants you to do. But I was reading a book by a man named Ron Mel, and he says this. He connects it to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 1. And in that verse, it says, I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. In other words, Habakkuk 2, 1 basically says, Here, I'm gonna, I've asked God this question. Why does God let the wicked prosper? And now I want to sit this, I'm going to wait. And I'm going to be silent, and I'm going to wait for God's answer. 
And the same word of stand that is here in Habakkuk is the same one that is used in 2 Chronicles 20. And so Ron Mel said he could picture in his mind that probably what happened after Jehoshaphat prayed, they stood in silence. Why? Because they didn't know what to do. Jehoshaphat didn't even have a plan. He didn't have a clue. He didn't have an idea. He didn't know what he should actually do. If you don't know how to do something, it's good to go to an expert and listen to them explain how you actually do it. Now, here's a fun fact. I don't know if you can see this, but did you see that one? I want you to go to all the way, not to the top of the one, you know, the up part, the, uh, what we would call the horizontal part, but the vertical part. And you see that guy on the end sticking a little bit off from everybody else? That's me. Fun fact, I know you don't care, but that's why I brought that up there. Because, uh, you know, why not? Just in case we're getting a little too serious. What's so unique about this method? This method is so unique that Jehoshaphat doesn't come at this as an expert. Here is the guy who is walking in revival with God, who as a king is traveling around his nation telling people how to follow God when the difficult circumstances come upon him He's speechless. Even the expert, and I, and I think this is what is, in some ways, one, one of the beautiful parts of this passage, the expert is silenced. We have so many experts in church that we would probably strategize our way out of difficult circumstances. And I can imagine Jehoshaphat could have done that. He could have called his war council together and said, okay, guys, they're coming. We should do this or we should do that. And even if they did that, when they got to the end of the conference, the only thing that they could come up with is, we have no idea what we should do. Let us gather everybody together. So here, if you can imagine, is absolute silence. A community of people coming together, like in this picture, and we want to listen. What is it that you, God, would tell us to do in the midst of these difficult circumstances? Because the reality is, if you, God, don't move, it's done. Jerusalem will have its siege, it will have its walls broken down, and many of us will die. So the people respond with an absolutely listening heart. Now, how many of you enjoyed that initial minute and a half? It's tough, right? It's kind of tough to sit there because if you're like me, what happens? When the silence comes and you have about 10 seconds of thinking, you start going, oh, I forgot to do that. Ooh, and I got to do that. And suddenly the bills that you have to do and all the things. And a minute and a half goes by and you haven't listened to anything because you have all the things that you have to do. That's on the good days. On the bad days, if you're like me, in that minute and a half, you probably took a nap. Because you're so tired, 
because you're so busy, because you run around so much trying to get so many things done in your life. Silence scares us. Because if it suddenly gets silent and we start thinking about what's going on in our heart and our relationship with Jesus, a lot of things come up that we don't really want to face. And yet these people are willing to say, we shall listen. And they listen in silence. What happens then? God speaks. You know, I didn't write this in here, so I'm going to read off here. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel. He said, listen, keyword, listen. Does anyone remember Charles Stanley? I know, like, he's an old-time 1970s and 80s, so if you know him, you're in your 50s probably, right? So don't raise your hand, maybe not. But Charles Stanley, whenever he wanted to make a point, he would say, listen, listen. He'd repeat it because it was important. But the prophet said, listen, all of you people of Judah and Jerusalem, listen, King Jehoshaphat, twice. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them, but you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. Really reminiscent language of Habakkuk chapter 2, just watching and seeing what God's going to do. For God is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. God speaks. What's his solution? His solution is after you have listened to me, I'm going to have you do something that you wouldn't expect to do. There's no strategy at all required of you. You don't have to do anything. Really, okay, maybe one thing, I want you to get up and I want you to go and I want to see the victory that I'm going to give you and you're not even going to lift an arm in battle. Because what happens sometime in the night after this prayer, somebody in one of the armies must have said something to somebody else about their mom or whatever, and a fight broke out. And once the fight broke out with a few guys, then it's a whole bunch of guys, and then the three groups of people, which are formerly enemies with each other, are suddenly fighting one another, and then they wipe out each other. A crazy strategy that God came up with that Jehoshaphat never would have thought of on his own. The only thing that he can do is just say, God, I, hands off. I surrender. I don't know what to do. And he listens. And God speaks. And then God acts. See, the reality of the situation is pretty simple. When the vast army was first coming and Jehoshaphat heard about that, his chance of winning he knew was zero. Kind of like the Chiefs today, right? No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. I just wanted to see if you're awake. And then for those of you that are Chief fans, please don't come up to me later and say they're going to... I was just kidding. just want to see if you're paying attention. Their chance of winning, though, ultimately was nothing. They're not going to win. They're going to be annihilated. But then when God speaks, it turns out not only are they not annihilated, but they get to plunder everything that the enemy armies had left behind in the midst of them destroying themselves. You see, 
Even though this is a story that describes an event that happened in the life of Jehoshaphat, I believe that it's also an event that can happen in our lives. Those situations where it seems like it's impossible, many of us take the time to strategize and think about what it is that we can do to make it better rather than simply stepping back, raising our hands up and saying, God, I surrender because I have no idea as to what I should do. I'm lost. It looks like it's over. And allow God to speak to us. So that's our situation. So how do we apply this? All right, so uh, I think that's a lot to cover. You ready? About another hour to take care of that, I think, to get through that. And the truth is, it probably is, but we're going to skip that. But I just want to see you later on. We can talk about that if you want to come to me afterwards. Because I want to talk about two things. Uh, There we go. Two things that I think that we should apply. Now, I want you to understand where I'm coming from. And this is what is called preacher bias. So all those seven things that I showed you were important things that I think you can learn from 2 Chronicles chapter 20 and the life of Jehoshaphat. But I'm only going to pick out two of them because I'm biased. And I'm biased for a reason. Currently, I'm in a program called Listening People to Life which is a spiritual direction program, which is basically you sit down with somebody for an hour, hour and a half, whatever the time limit is, and you listen to the Spirit of God and to that person, and you try to connect the two. Similar to what Jehoshaphat was doing as they sat back and they listened to what God had to say and connecting with his circumstances. And here's the two applications that I think are important, especially when we pray. It's this. When told that prayer's primary purpose is not to get an answer, but allow God to change you and your perspective, don't fall for that completely. I think that's really important. That's one thing I struggle with. Because when we say, what's the purpose of prayer? The purpose of prayer is for us to become more like Jesus. Absolutely agree with this. But the problem that I have with that is all through Scripture, God says, ask. You see, I think the reason why we sit there and say God wants to change our perspective is because really we don't have enough faith that God's actually going to answer. And the reason we're worried about God's answer is because we really haven't listened to hear what God has to say. And so the simple, and I'll say in a sense lacking faith way, is to go, well, I'm just praying because God's going to change me and not ask. You see, Jehovah didn't, at Jehovah, sorry, Jehoshaphat didn't ask for something specific, but he still asked for help. He didn't sit there and say, oh God, thank you so much for this vast army that is coming to destroy us. It is so great to fast and pray that we might know you more. Appreciate it. Thumbs up. Emoji, 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 whatever, all that other stuff that goes along with it. We dig that. That's cool. And then just stand there and watch this vast army come and destroy. No, he said, God, we don't know what to do. It's an invitation that God has given Jehoshaphat. And he says, come and ask. God wants to act. All through scripture, it's ask. It's ask. God does not want to be a silent God, but an interactive God, a proactive God in our lives. And so, for me, the implication of all that is don't take it to the limit and think it's just about you getting to know God better and have a perspective or his perspective. That is clearly a part of it. Clearly a part of it. 
But we can never leave off the fact that God is inviting us to ask him to move. Second thing that I was important. Whether your circumstances get really bad or not, develop a habit of listening to God. And I put this as a a secondary note, but seriously, don't wait for life to get really bad to start listening to God when you pray. Because a lot of us will say, hey, you know what? My circumstances aren't bad. What do I really need to listen for? Well, I can't tell you what you need to listen for, but you might be surprised because God may begin to point his finger at certain things that you really need to listen to. You have to listen to God. And so when someone invites you to, hey, here's a minute and a half, here's five minutes, here's 10 minutes. Can you imagine? I read a book and this lady says, you know, in time I got to a point where I could sit silently before God for one hour. When I read that, I laughed. Because I said, if you allow me one hour of silence, 58 of those minutes will be nap time. Okay? That's just truth. But that's what she said too. But as you learn how to hear the voice of God and how he directs you and how he wants to help you and how he wants to use you in this world that we live in in order for people to see Jesus through us, in us and through us, in order to come to a place where they find Jesus because of us, because of the Spirit's work in us, because we actually sat down and listened to God. Now, you sit there and go, okay, whatever, great, I'm just going to sit there and listen. I will never get this down. So let's go to the last slide. We're nearing the end here. To be spirit-led, you must be spirit-fed. If, if you walk away with anything today, you know, forget everything else that I said, that's fine, that's great, but don't forget that. To be spirit-led, you must be spirit-fed. Does anyone know or remember what happened in verse 14 before the words of the prophet were actually spoken? Does anyone remember? If you do, I promise that... Uh, Pastor Peter will get you a candy bar later today if you get the right answer. And do anyone guess? I see a hand raised there. No? Okay. Anybody? Did you raise your hand? No, nobody. The Spirit led the prophet to speak. You see, he was Spirit-led. How so? Because he was Spirit-fed. What we must understand is that as God pours into us, when we sit in moments of silence, when we're always seeking God, it's so much easier. It's not like a light switch. I I struggle with this. Every time you get up, um, I get up to speak. It's kind of like I feel like, God, just flip the switch. Just flip the switch and, and speak through me. And it's like God wants to say, no, it's not about flipping a switch. It's not about electricity. It's about you walking in faith. Being spirit-fed constantly so that when the time comes, you might be spirit-led. So how do we do this? Let me finish. I'm going to give you three things. Number one, get into and reflect on God's Word. Do not just read God's Word to read God's Word. How many of you are in those Bible reading programs, a chapter a day? And you read through the chapter, and you check it off, and ten minutes later, you might be thinking to yourself, what did I just read? Right? Truth. Anybody amen on that? Okay, it, yeah, it's not easy. I don't like Bible reading programs. <gasps> Bad pastor. <laughs> but there's a caveat with that, you know, right? I don't like them because they force us to read 
and not reflect. You find me a Bible reading program that says stop and think and reflect, we're in. Because it's not just about reading, it's about reflecting and listening to what God wants to say to us right where we're at at that moment. If you're not into God's word, it is harder for him to lead you. You can't be spirit-led because you're not being spirit-fed. You've got to get into the word of God. Second thing, make silence a priority and a part of your time with God. This is really hard, so I'm going to just give you a simple example. Start tonight. Take just five minutes and sit in silence. Now, again, you're thinking, I just spent a minute and a half, and now you want me to spend five minutes? It didn't work. If you sit there and don't have something, and I didn't give you a prompt, but I will after this, if you don't have a prompt to think about, your mind will wander. What is the prompt that will help you reflect for five minutes? It is God's word. What it is that he speaks to you. So when you read God's word and you're there and you're saying to yourself, God, what is, I don't know what you want me to do, but what is it that you want me to do? And I'll do it. And you listen and you learn how to listen and you practice. It's five minutes today and every month, maybe you add another five minutes. By the end of the year, what happens? I don't know who it was. I, think, I don't know if it was um, Martin Luther or D.L. Moody. I think it was D.L. Moody, which I should have known because I graduated from Moody Bible Institute 36 years ago. Some, is anyone under 36 here? No? Oh, you're all older. Okay, all right, cool. All right, so I'm not that old. Excellent. He said this. As I got older, I found in my quiet times, I did more listening and less talking. I think that's the goal of any Christian who wants to be spirit-led. See, our perspective is limited, and we can't see everything, but God's is unlimited, and he sees what can happen if we're willing to stop, slow down, and listen. Third thing is this. Do what God says. You see, Jehoshaphat could have said, bro, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Just go out and watch and see God deliver? What is he going to do? Blast everyone with lightning? Rocks falling out of the sky? That's crazy. We've got to fight. What is he talking about? No, he just said, you know what? If that's what God tells us to do, to just go and watch, then we go and watch. You see, when God speaks to us, he doesn't speak to entertain us. He doesn't speak to inspire us and make us feel good, like, ooh, wow, that was really cool. That was a great insight. His speaking to us is so that we might act. Now, that acting might be to believe something quite simple, that he loves you more than you can imagine. But when he asks us to do something like experiencing God, right, what is the end of it all? To obey. And when you obey, what happens? The cycle goes back again. And what? You listen to God. God speaks. You obey. You experience him. And it keeps going on and on. And it gets grander. And it gets grander. And it gets grander. So I want to leave you with this. Listening matters when you pray. Because I think in the end, to be spirit-led, you must be spirit-fed.